Where do we start this? And the answer doesn't matter. We're having a good time. Right. <laughs> he couldn't wait to get in here. You need sales balls to make sales calls. Sure. I'm tweeting that puppy. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the Sell or Die podcast. We're your hosts, Jeffrey and Jen Gittimer. I'm the author of The Little Red Book of Selling and 15 other best-selling books and the creator of the seven-figure sales formula program. I grew up in Philadelphia, sold in New York City, but was smart enough to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm the author of Sales in the New York Minute and creator of Breakthrough Business Babe Community. Fun fact, I'm obsessed with our dogs and consider them humans. If you have a dog, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sell or Die is for sales professionals, salespeople, sales managers, entrepreneurs, and business owners who want to sell more at full price, earn loyalty, and have an unlimited stream of referrals. Every single episode is going to give you real-world, easy-to-implement solutions so that you can get your calls returned, your proposals read and acted on, all while creating relationships that you can take all the way to the bank. It's time to sell or die. <laughs> it would have been funny if you said, hey, Glenn, that's a wrap. This is exactly what we're going to air. <laughs> oh, so man. diehards around the world, we are joined tonight by a guy who you may know. God, he looks so familiar. You may have seen him on the series 24 or his new amazing smash hit, The Resident, but we actually know him as the great Glenn Morshower. And we are welcoming you to the show tonight because we want to talk to you about what the hell does acting have to do with sales? And we're going to bring that exact <laughs> topic up tonight. Welcome, Glenn. Hey, Jeffrey and Jen. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. In your home, We're so glad you're here. in your South yeah, Carolina okay. home. That's right. We invite all kinds of weird people here, but <laughs> you aren't even qualified to be weird. You're like a normal human being, like at a Hollywood actor, and you're a Hollywood actor. Would that be fair to say? Uh, by legal definition, I suppose. Technically, yes. In terms of my soulfulness about that, not even, not even slightly. But you're in the Screen Actors Guild. You've been I in am. hundreds, hundreds of shows. Hundreds, thousands of hours of performance, correct? Correct. So have 10 years all week or 50 years of acting? Yeah, 50 years, 45 of them professionally, where I actually was the recipient of a paycheck for my services rendered. The other five were in like the grocery store, check out out with your <laughs> no. mom screaming for a candy bar? <laughs> <laughs> actually, the first four and a half years were spent at the Dallas Theater Center training as a kid actor from 11 to just shy of 16. And wow. the plan was to go to New York City to do Broadway. And it is kind of surprising, but it's true that I never even had a single thought about film or TV. I don't know why. I think I was just smitten with theater. I had a girl, a friend of mine named Debbie Siegel, nice Christian girl. That was sarcasm. And uh, I knew Debbie from synagogue from the Sheriff Israel Synagogue, where we had a rabbi who sounded like this. He was like, <laughs> me oh, And he was like, hey, shalom, y'all. 
But hey, shh, hush. We're over here fixing to have a bar mitzvah. It was weird. Yeah. But that's where I knew Debbie from. And all of a sudden, my mom, for the holidays, takes us to see the play, Charles Dickens' play, A Christmas Carol. And here this little Jewish girl comes out on stage. And I didn't even know she was in it. But there she was. And I thought, oh, my God, she looks like she's having so much fun. And at intermission, I asked mom, how could I do this? This looks like so much fun. And thankfully, I had a mother who took my inquiry seriously because she enrolled me in theater classes at Dallas Theater Center the following week. And that was the beginning of me never looking back. That's amazing. You're inspired by a Jew in a Christian play. True story. <laughs> and no one's ever so worded easy. it that way, but that's funny. <laughs> you make it sound so easy, like, well, I'm interested in acting. And so I just started acting. Like, well, elaborate. you know, Jen, there's no, actually, there's something to be said for that because I talked about this on Clubhouse this morning. There is a phrase that I use. It's just something I've made up over the years. I call it EH, which stands for estimated haveability. And I estimate things routinely. And I would be surprised if it wasn't this way with you guys too, especially with Jeffrey's track record of success. But I think one of the things successful people do, it's a common trait, is they estimate what others view as a long shot as extremely haveable. Mm -hmm. Or do they don't see it. They don't do haveable well, haveable, or doable. doable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I just say haveable, meaning you can have it in your life, right? It doesn't have to be something that is forever out of your reach. And even as a young boy, I saw it as entirely haveable. I want to do that thing up there. Can I have that? And my mom said, sure. And she enrolled me and it was a no brainer. And I took to it like a duck to water. And a few years later, got a phone call that changed my life where a local talent agency was casting a national television commercial. Although they repped a lot of kids, these kids were mostly models. They didn't have any experience in front of a live audience. And so they weren't confident at reciting the lines, what we call copy in the business. They couldn't do the copy confidently. So they called DTC and said, could you ship us, I don't know, half dozen boy, male actors, kids between ages 12 and 16 for this national commercial. And I was lucky enough to be one of the names that came up when they were drawing out of the hat. And I went over, had never appeared in a TV commercial, booked the first thing I ever read for, which now further fueled that sense of estimated haveability. So yeah. if you walk in and the first thing, and keep in mind the template that most people have created for themselves is how difficult it is to get hired. And instead I went in, shot a bucket from the foul line. It went right through. And I thought, okay, so getting hired is also easy. And that was the template that my career grew out of. So I never thought of it as being difficult to be hired or to have a career at it. That never occurred. Keep this in mind. Glenn went for an audition and made the sale. Yeah. Right. Someone I bought mean, Glenn. Right. Isn't it true that the hummingbird aerodynamically is not supposed to be able to fly? But here's the it's issue. Right next to it, the never received, exactly, it never yeah. received the memo. So as yeah. long as you never received the memo that what you're doing is supposed to be difficult, then for you, it will never be difficult. So, Nor okay, I, I love this. Yeah. Okay. Am so I speaking your language? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, So cool. let's talk to the person who has received that memo, 
How do they mm-hmm. break that cycle? Because what you're saying is it's like a domino effect in a really great way. If you right. believe you can have it, you get it. Then you believe you can have it again. It strengthens your belief. Boom, right? But what yes. if in there, someone had walked into that, you know, sale, right? That presentation essentially mm-hmm. and audition and didn't get it and they had believed it was difficult. So now what? How do you break the cycle? Well, I think you have to go back to the what I call the point of derailment and ask what changed for you where you started doubting. It's like the moment, for example, no hockey player in the history of the NHL has ever thought about what a great game they skated. You know what I mean? In other words, skating is secondary. It's mm. part of the deal. They're there to score and to try to keep from being scored upon. They don't even think about skating. So when did I start questioning my skating would be the question, I would think, because as long Mm -hmm. as I go in and skate well, I know how to score. So where did self-doubt creep in? But I I mean, I think you're right. That certainly would have made it more difficult, but I don't think it would have slowed me down much. I just don't, you know, because one of the things in order to last in any business, I mean, I'm sure Jeffrey feels this way about sales. There's sort of an inherent relentlessness about it. I don't have time to think about that. I'm already back on my feet and moving forward again. Yeah, that's so powerful. So let me set a scenario for you because a lot of our listeners look at the word attitude and mindset as a prerequisite for entering into an arena. Mm -hmm. There's two prime, you can correct me, please, if I missed the mark here. But there are two prime areas where you as a salesperson slash actor are in front of this group. One is when you're auditioning for the part and you're with a bunch of other salespeople, actors, which is that's a big one. And then if you get it, when you get it, then at some point that director says action. Mm -hmm. And you have to sell your character to your fellow actors and actresses and or people that identify as actors or actresses on the whole new generic bullshit. Is that the new correct verbiage? Yeah, exactly. I've never told someone I identify as an actor, but there you go. I just did. Okay, well, there you go. And the audience. So your fellows have to pick up on you, and then the audience has to go, love that guy. Buying in. I buy Or hate him. Yeah, I buy character. Because sometimes and, and truly, them hating job. you is also a form of validation. Oh yeah, oh yeah. If the character is supposed to be hated, nobody was supposed to love me as Wayne Lowry on Bloodline. Yeah. I was supposed to scare the shit out of people. That was my job. And you, you know? did it. I think that there are two stories being told there, Jeffrey. And I think that the first one is by far, and I can't imagine another actor arguing over this. A layperson might not grasp it, but an actor would never question that. Of those two, the more difficult one is the audition. And the reason is once they've hired you, you've already got their vote of confidence. So when you step on stage, you've already been said yes to. So your treatment of the character is not in question. There's nothing to sell. There's nothing to prove. And I'll give you an example of this. I had lunch with the director of an episode of Narcos, which a uh, great show, uh, absolutely great show. And we were shooting down in Bogota, Colombia. This was only three years ago. We'd lunch every day during the shoot. I was down in Bogota for, I think, 11 days. And I asked him on the third day, I guess it was, I asked him, I said, you know, in television, it moves so fast, you do very little directing, which is true. 
and especially with regard to performance, little if any. And I said, in all fairness, in the audition round, would it be safe to say that you're looking for an add water and stir actor? And he said, I've never, I've never thought of it that way. I really like that expression. But I said, in other words, someone you don't have to do anything with. And he goes, yeah, we do like them to arrive showing us what the character is. Like, there it is. We wish that this were already in the jungle because that's the performance we would want in our series. So you just gave it to us. Here's what he said, though. He went on to say, not only do I like the idea of there being an add water and stir actor, but I'd also like the actor to bring the water and the stir. Yeah. <laughs> and I laughed and I thought, oh, my God, that's really easy to understand. So by the time you're on the set, the truth is there is no directing. The directing is with regard to the shot itself, to talk to the DP, the director of photography, to make sure that all is set in terms of the lens size. They want to go in close. They want to be on a 300 millimeter. They want to be on a 25 millimeter and a wide shot. What do we want the painting to look like? But in terms of the performance, they hired the guy that already brought them the performance they want. So that's okay. So, so go back and tell us how you prepared for that audition. What did it take for you to understand the character and get ready for the performance? Well, fortunately, that specific one, Jeffrey, was a straight offer. So I never auditioned. They just called based on previous work. They knew me from several other series I had done. I was doing a show like at that time called I'm Dying Up Here for Showtime, which had followed a Supergirl, a running series at that time. Before that was 24. And so I was hopping from one series to the next. But back, we could go all the way back to 24 days or when I'm guest starring. You make your own decisions about who you esteem this character to be. They give you a broad strokes idea of what it is they're looking for. But I think the smart person says, okay, there's that. But then I'm going to mix it up with this. And this is an example of something that I did for 24. When I went in, I sounded just like this in the room with that little soft whistle on my asses. Just that little bitty thing. And that's something my dad used to do. And they never said we're looking for a guy with a Southern accent. But I did this because there's something that kicks in that is very authoritative when I do that voice. And it has been extremely successful. You know this from sales. You do what works. So I already know. I know that my track record, when I lean in and talk like this to people, I know unequivocally that they like to hire that guy. So that's the guy I did. You know what they did? They did their part. They hired me. Cool. So, and that's it. You, you just, you just your trust chew. your instincts, you know? Did you have to adjust your chew? No, I didn't have any chew in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, man. <laughs> and what I don't chew, just so people know. What was the toughest role that you received? Probably uh, playing Colonel Tom Matthews in a film called Black Hawk Down in 2001. Hold on, I should and specify. The, Not from an acting perspective, but from a sales perspective. Well, here's why that one was difficult. Okay. That one was difficult because I had a task on that film that no one else had. Mine was tougher than anyone's. You want to know why? Sure, yeah. Glenn. I, I'd like Tell to us. know why. Tell us why. Please. The answer, the answer is because unlike any of their renditions of their characters, which were real people, by the way. So for starters, 
you don't get to do it however you want it because it's not up to your imagination. These are actual people. And I've had a few situations like that where this differed is that as I'm doing it, I'm doing it in front of the guy. Whoa. He, was our, he was our tech advisor. So no one else, the people that were doing their roles, they weren't doing them in front of the person themselves. I was. Every single take, the guy that trained us for the movie is the guy I play in the movie. So I would be looking over, whose review do you think I gave a shit about? Only his. Yeah. Only his. No, his I don't care what the papers everything. say. I don't care what the director, even the great Ridley Scott, who was all this, right? And he was great because he was oh, it's fantastic. I love it. I love it. It's very exciting. Would you like to come to the trailer? We're going to do some drawings and take a look at the day's work. And that's how each day started. And it was beautiful. But at the end of the day, I would look over at Colonel Tom. When we were done with the scene, he'd give me one of those. And it was a lip, you know, it was like, it wasn't just, it wasn't one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your audience can't see what I'm doing, but he would swiftly thrust that thumb forward, like right on baby. And it just made me feel so good because man, I'm portraying you. And I told him when we came out of the gate, I said, Colonel Tom, it means so much to me to be depicting your every thought accurately. I want to tell your story the way you felt it. And he was so touched by my commitment to that. And mm -hmm. I asked him, I said, what was your opinion about this mission? And he said, I had very mixed feelings about it until I said, until he said, until I called the code word for attack, which was the word Irene. And he said, when I said Irene, every part of me was unified wow. because wow. it's what we had to do. Yeah. So he went from being torn, torn rather, to aligned with the recitation of one word, Irene. I repeat, Irene. And that's how I said in the movie. I said, Irene, I repeat, Irene. And I felt this rush go through me because I had already talked to Colonel Tom about what that moment was for him. And so I realized I've got real mixed feelings about this. Boom. They all come together as soon as I said, we're attacking. Irene, go. So, you know, those are special moments, very special. Moments. So diehards realize this as you're watching, listening to Glenn, he lives his roles. He doesn't just play his roles. And he's able to convince the person who he is playing right in front of that person that he's done a great job. As a salesperson, as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur, whatever you are in this business world, you have to live your position. You can't just have a position because when you do, then the emotion of it becomes transferable. That's what Glenn has been successful at doing for decades, transferring acting ship, his salesmanship so that everyone buys it, even down to the character that he's portraying in front of the character. And yeah, like well, it's interesting. I've gotten away from the word, and I'm not saying this to be woo-woo or clever. I've gotten way, way far away from the word performance. Because I don't think in terms of performing. Jeffrey hit it right on the nose. I think in terms of being. And I'm, you know, I'm an acting coach. I've been coaching for 36 years. And I tell people that the number one, the biggest factor, the most important factor in giving them the character is acceptance of the character. 
In other words, mm-hmm. you have to accept that this is the reality you're in. Because if you're doing it, listen very carefully. If you're doing it from it instead of about it, you're going to work more. So, for example, let's say we were doing a movie. Would you, Jen, would you rather see a movie? Let's say you've chosen to see a movie and you know that the subject is about divorce. So you want to fully feel what's going on in this film. You want to feel the emotions of it. From that perspective, if you felt like being impacted, which do you think you would find more impactful? A film about the pain of divorce or a film done from the pain of divorce? Oh, from. from. There you go. Every time. So, yeah. so I, teach, I teach from as the approach. We're going to do this scene from it, not about it. Now, the raw Jeffrey Gittimer version of this, and I do use some of Jeffrey's style without trying to emulate him because I was doing Jeffrey before I met Jeffrey. I was. And here's an example of a Jeffrey Gittimer approach to directing. I say, that's great, guys. Nice job on the first take. Now, let's pull the condom off of the scene and what that means. And all of my students know what I'm saying. What I'm saying is quit tippy-toeing around the issue. Let's go ahead and have a complete union here. Let's meet one another. Let's connect. Let's swap some emotional body fluids, if you will, and let's quit playing at it and start coming from it. And they, every one of them know what I mean. When I give the note, I go, great, pull the condom off the scene. Let's do it again. They know what that means. It means you were bullshitting your way through that scene and you scored a B plus, but you're never going to get an A out of me when you perform the scene. I want you to live the scene. And I think salesmen are the same way when you can live your sale instead of perform it, you're going to kill it in business. And the customer can feel when you're in it with them and living it from their perspective with them and with their intended outcome versus coming at it about it, as you would say, right? And giving like showing up and just like presenting something that's about it versus really feeling where they're at right now. How do you fit in? How is that going to help them? And coming at it from it, like you're with them living it. And I, I think that's so It would powerful. blow your mind if you set in on one of my online classes sometime just to observe the difference between those two worlds. You know, I can imagine Jeffrey speaking. We're both speakers. We've both been speakers for many years. When I listen to a canned presentation that is the exact same one word for word that I heard in Orlando six months ago from them. And I heard it again in Vegas three months ago. I got to tell you, I need a vomit bag to get through the experience. You know, I just, I don't know. So I'm a big fan of spontaneously mixing it up. I'm a big fan of not planning in the audition to not plan with certain uh, pieces of cleverness, but rather just to go in and just, allow the meeting to be beautiful and to unfold naturally and say sometimes weird stuff without planning to. I I, want to inject here something. And I've said this in front of before, but for the benefit of the diehards to reinforce what Glenn is saying, I go to all these national speakers events Mm -hmm. and there was a woman who gave a talk on the stage in front of a thousand speakers, memorized the one hour talk, and lost her way about 30 minutes into it. See, now she's screwed. Totally. Now, she stands there and sort of stammers, finds her way, and enters back into the speech. And but the still audience, memorized. Oh, yeah. 
and the audience applauds. I wanted to boo the hell out of her, the audacity that she has to memorize something in front of her fellow compatriot. Hang on a second. There's no but here. She's not speaking from her heart. She's speaking from her head. But she exactly. didn't get that training. That's the problem. Is no, that she didn't. no one helped her understand. She didn't have the right mentors. She didn't have the right, she didn't surround herself by the right people to understand that there's a better way to do it. She'd been speaking for more than a decade and she was into her own capability. And she'd been memorized for a decade? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, what oh, that's just bad. And but I didn't boo her until the but second time to. it happened. Oh, oh Jeffrey. It, she did it again. And in front of time in front. you did. And it's the same thing with the sales presentation <laughs> if you have it memorized versus if you're saying it from your heart. Well, but in Glenn's it. case, they have to memorize lines. Yeah, but they but live a minute. It. Were you the it's sole different. booer? Were you the sole um, booer? I just booed her under my breath to the guy. Oh, right. oh man. So, Glenn, I want to go to something. Um, <laughs> let me just enjoy. Let me just enjoy yeah. that moment of Jeffrey booing someone. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I was but Jeffrey's from Philadelphia, room. right? It's okay. We boo everybody. You we boo, boo everybody. Clothes. Right. You boo your own mother at birth if she didn't do it correctly, right? Oh, well, boy. Yeah. <laughs> A mayoral candidate came to Temple University to speak, and the kids didn't like him. And they booed him so loud and so long that he was never able to get out the first word. He just walked <laughs> off the platform. It was the classic. Oh, and the kids funny. felt like, oh, victory. That's classic. James what were you going to say, Jen? The third. Yeah. Okay. I was in a clubhouse room listening to you speak. Well, and which one? I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, was it, was it Ken and I or one that I was doing on my own? I think it was, it was one that I was in that you, that you said, oh, I'm just going to listen today. And then you ended up dropping these amazing knowledge bombs. Oh, okay. um, and you said something along the lines of you had this amazing track record for getting the part more yes. so than, than most actors. Can you like, tell us about that? And oh, then also you hear that story. Yeah, and then also what goes into getting that kind of track record? Well, my going into this track record that you're referring to, I had already had an elevated booking percentage that was worthy, according to the agency, of comment, where they pulled me aside and said, you know, you're killing it consistently in ways we've never seen. And they were responding to the fact that I had booked a couple in a row, and it was based on a decision I made when I was headed to the network it was for a sitcom. I walked outside my front door, got a whisper, which uh, these, uh, again, these are not being overly uh, dramatized. It's, it's just the way it is. I, I do hear these whispers within these nudges. We all get them. The difference is I act on mine. Mm -hmm. And even if they're nonlinear and this whisper, when I walked back into my house, Carolyn asked me, did you forget something? And I said, no, just got a whisper. And she said, what did you hear? And I said that apparently I'm supposed to go to the network with my shoes filled with syrup. And she didn't, she didn't challenge it. She didn't say, honey, are you unwell? What she did say was, um, do you want to add Jemima or log cabin? I mean, just rolled yeah. with it. It was beautiful. And so we went to the kitchen and we put a little bit of boat in both of my shoes. And I went down to the network, convinced, convinced that I was the only actor 
doctor at ABC that day whose shoes were filled with syrup, guaranteed. We all know this to be true. There's no way anybody else was doing this. And it wasn't so much that it would go out up and over my shoes and create a mess in the hallways, but it was enough for my feet to be swimming, which was really cool. And I have never been more at ease nor felt more mischievous in the room than I did that day. And I thought there's something to be said for this. Well, I got the job. So let me push on. I got the job. Took two weeks to film it. And then shortly after that, you know, we're back pounding on the pavement because what we do as actors is we look for work. That's what we do. And then occasionally those searches are interrupted with work. That defines the life of an actor. We yeah. look for work mostly. That's and, then That's sometimes, by the way. and then sometimes we get the work we look. So I went back out to look for the next job and uh, got the call to go in for an audition. And I went in this time with syrup in my shoes and little baby marshmallows between each one of my toes. Now you're talking. And I got that job. So now it's turned into a game. And now we go on the third job in a row. Only this time I added Canadian bacon to my socks. So now we've got syrup. We've got little baby marshmallows. And we have Canadian bacon in the socks. And I booked that one. And this game is now bringing me a greater sense of joy every time along with a fat paycheck, which makes the game more fun, by the way. Oh, yeah. When you yeah. add money to it, this is a language I know you guys speak. You, as we say in Texas, you abla that, don't you? So yeah. now it's the fourth yeah. outing. And the fourth outing, I add yet another ingredient. I book that. And I get a call to inform me that I have just tied a 30-year standing record one person in the history of the agency has booked four jobs in a row because it's tough. They see a buttload of people for each job, yeah. right? So when you're the one they keep going to, it does beg the question, what the hell are you doing in there? Because this is not a talent contest. We have lots of talented people, mega talented people, but they're not booking four in a row. What is seriously, what are you doing? I said, it's interesting. You should ask. <laughs> Let's just say I'm trying some new techniques. And that's it. That's all I said. Cause you're not going to tell your agent what you're actually doing. They're going to think you're a nutbag. And the truth is what made it so wonderful is that it was my secret. It was my business. Yeah. It was nobody else's business. And if you walk into the room and go, Hey guys, uh, before we read, you should probably know that I have Canadian bacon in my socks. <laughs> they would be like, what is wrong with you? So it's, it's imperative that it be your secret. So now, on the way to job number five, keep in mind, if I book today's role, I have the record. Undisputed, never been done before in the history of the agency. So here's the light bulb that goes off. Let's see. If this stuff works this well in my shoes, where else might I want to begin placing things? And I went to the grocery store about an hour before the meeting at the network. And I bought a package of Oscar Mayer bologna. I pulled out one slice, which is circular, folded it in half, creating a beautiful semicircle, which fit directly and perfectly between my butt cheeks. <laughs> and I went into the reed with, this is a grown man, by the way, with bologna up my ass. And I've never smiled that big. And I'm sure they wondered what I was on. But most importantly, I got the job. Now, every word of this story is true. I also booked job number six 
seven, eight, and nine. That record has never been broken. I have a feeling it never will. And oh, I'm convinced no. wow. the only reason I didn't, the only reason I didn't get the 10th job in a row is because I friggin' ran out of baloney. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the deal. Do you understand? And I'm sure you do that. This is not just nonsense. There's no one who would understand this better than Jeffrey. This is a classic demonstration of shifting your mindset to one of extreme relaxation and playfulness to where truly, I mean this when I say, I don't care what you do. I have baloney up my ass right now. I'm not invested in what this room thinks. And because of that, I was floating on a cloud in the room and here is what everybody else were, here's what they were seeing. They looked around all day at the candidates that were vying for these roles and here's what they saw. Desperation, 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 celebration. And celebration is what booked the job. Yeah. Desperation doesn't book squat. And I've been teaching it ever since. I never knew that I would teach it at a corporate level. It was part of my audition mastery course for years. And then this man asked me to come speak to Exxon and I accepted his invitation. It was the first corporate gig I'd ever done. And I said, how would you like me to change it? He said, son, I don't want you to change a damn thing. I want you to do exactly what I saw you do on that stage tonight. Cause man, I went down there. My granddaughter told me to come see you and you were not up there talking about acting, son. You were talking about life. You were talking about fun, connection, wholesomeness, integrity, loyalty. You gave me a, a thrill ride and I feel refreshed and I feel renewed and I feel restored. And I'm wondering, and he reached into his jacket and said, if you might come speak to my people at Exxon. And wow. he didn't want me to change anything. And that's how I became a corporate speaker because wow. I went out and did what I'd always known how to do, which is come tell them true stories. Wait, you didn't have it memorized? Just kidding. <laughs> the, but I had the edge of knowing, you know, the you hills and valleys it. when you tell a story. You know, some people, I know you've both seen this. Some people can take a great piece of material and destroy it because yeah. they are boring. Yeah. They are boring. Yeah. So yeah. I would much rather have an average message told by a great speaker than a great message told by a shit speaker. Yep. Yes. I, you know, I, I mean, people all the time, when the customer says we're not interested, it means you are not interesting. Yes. They say yeah. you can smell desperation, but I think in your case, they could smell the celebration, <laughs> the baloney up your butt. <laughs> oh, oh, I'll be honest with you. When I first walked into the network, I did see, I swear to you, I did see this. <laughs> Die, and they were, die they hard. Were, you can't see that. He was sniffing. No, but like. this is the beauty. When I tell this story on stage, I go, and all of a sudden they're wondering why they feel the sudden urge to suppress the desire to dine at the International House of Pancakes. Exactly. Because they would never, they would never dream in a million years that it's coming from the actor, you know? But That's uh, true. But our voices, I know this much. I know voices help tremendously. I know the fact that I can do like this. If I want to do, I could do the whole thing. I can do a presentation for 35 minutes. I want to talk like, cuando clientes y porque mis dios se invitaran a comer y chico que banquetazo is not a problem for me today. When you can do stuff like that and yeah. change your voice in a heartbeat, 
you're going to be a more interesting presenter. That's all there is to it. You know? Rizzo. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. have some friends that are pretty good voicers and yeah. showbiz people, but the challenge is, can you pull it off to where they can't tell you're faking it? Absolutely. There's so much in what you said that our diehard can use when they're meeting with a customer and going into a big sale, whether it's on Zoom or in person, when that happens again. The fact that you had fun with it is obviously massive, right? You yeah. did, but also, you detached from the outcome. Like, whatever happens, happens. I'm just here to do my best and have hey, a great time. Aaron Pierce on 24. I had baloney up my butt when I went in and I played the most serious guy in the history of television in that series. Yes, you did. But in order to make sure that it was just really relaxed at the network, that's how I achieved that. Yeah. Phenomenal. Which I think is pretty cool. It's so good. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think that so often when you're going in and pitching every day as a salesperson and maybe multiple times a day, it's possible to forget to have fun and it's, and it can become so routine. Like, oh, I'm just, you know, my quota, the numbers, the this, the that. And the approach that you took to make it unique and exciting and I just think is amazing. And it's something that everyone should take a step back and really, before you go into your next meeting, don't copy, Glenn. Don't put syrup no. and marshmallows no, no, in no, your no, socks. No. But no, go to the grocery store and buy some bologna. <laughs> no, but what can you do that's unique to you? you well, know? let me tell you what not to do. Some moron wannabe student of mine wound uh -oh. up going. He sent me an email to tell me. He said, I, um, I guess maybe you would say I got a little carried away with this coaching because it sounded really exciting and I wanted to see if I could book. So he buys a pack of jalapeno flavored potato chips. Not oh, no, good. No, 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 no. And puts them in the undershorts and French fries his scrotum. Okay, jalapeno <laughs> chips don't really belong adjacent to your scrotum. There was another this. friend of mine, my buddy Charlie, when he first tried it, he wound up putting Funyuns in his undershorts. Here's the problem. I couldn't even believe he did this. Here's the problem. He wasn't wearing briefs. He's wearing friggin' boxers. So he comes out of the appointment and there is a line. There is a line of onions. <laughs> That's on the ground. By the way. And he said the casting director, the casting director opened the door to go call upon the next actor. And there's this friggin' trail that goes right up to his pant leg where he's standing there signing out for the day. He said he just turned and hauled ass. He said it was the most embarrassing moment of his life. I'm laughing so hard. I'm actually crying right now. Well, you know, but isn't that what we're here to do? Aren't we here to remember yeah. the silliness of things? Yes. I think people have got to quit taking themselves so damn serious. Agreed. You know, yes. adults say I'm too old to play. So a lot of people allow themselves to stop playing because they've gotten older instead of realizing the greater truth is they've gotten older because they've stopped playing. The, the classic Woody Allen line of you're only young once, but you can always be immature. Oh, I like that. Is there a specific movie that's from, or that's just a Woody Allen quote? Um, it was from an interview. I like that. He did in Playboy magazine in 1972. Have you heard I this one? No, not Playboy. I'm sorry. Rolling Stone. 
I heard, heard this one many years ago, but it, it paid me another visit this week because someone else brought up this quote. They said that a lot of people die when they're 25, but they don't get buried till they're 75. Yeah. And, and I yeah. think that's, that's really true. You should actually go back into the Rolling Stone annals if you can and okay. look up the Woody Allen interview. I think they did it with Dave Marsh, but um, it was brilliant. It was absolutely mm. brilliant. You know, he said, uh, Marsh said, what, what do you not like? You know, I'm sure people come up to you and, and interrupt you and ask for your autograph. He said, that must be horrible. In fact, that must be one of the worst things in the world. And Allen goes, well, inoperable brain cancer. You know, like try to draw the parallel. You know what I mean? <laughs> you mean he did let them know that there were things that were worse than More that? than funny. having your, yeah, somebody asked for your autograph at a, at a meal or something. <laughs> you know, what I, what's coming to mind for me is I help a lot of course creators launch online, right? And sell digitally. And during a... <laughs> during a launch, it can get very tense. And, you know, you're like waiting for things to come in and there's a cart open period and are they going to buy and how much are buying and are you meeting your goal and all the things, right? Sure. And the best thing that I have seen and had course creators do is during their launch, go do something fun. Like go to Disney World, go enjoy yourself somewhere. And when people see you having fun, online and on social media, because, you know, we put our whole lives on Instagram, right? So like, sure, well, not sure. everything, but a lot of things. So when people see you in that relaxed state, you're actually attracting the vibe that you want into your sphere. Mm -hmm. And I think with salespeople too, you know, you have to think about what you're attracting. Like, maybe you don't want to put bologna in your butt, but like, what can you do to have fun so that you're attracting that right client into your atmosphere. I don't know. I just, I'm processing everything you said and loving it. Do you know that for years, because this got around when I started teaching my seminars, because I was teaching actors to put food products in their undershorts. <laughs> do you yeah. know that I would, do you know that I would go into interviews and I would get this? Hey, Glenn, good to see you. <laughs> and they were scanning. They were scanning, yeah. wondering like, is he packing? <laughs> Is, that is, is so funny. That's hysterical. <laughs> I not simply pulled it off and bragged about it. You repeated it to a point where no one can say, yeah, well, he's a lucky. No, there was no luck involved in that. What it was is he was intentional. Mm -hmm. And his intention was to desperate like everybody else looked, but to just look committed, having a good time, be relaxed, and be intentional. Did you even yeah, know and, that that's what you were doing? What this is, is it is, and this is part of my program, I teach it as part of the audition mastery course, is the importance, and this would be true for sales, Jeffrey, it'd be great for your sales trainings, is if we ever do a seminar together, I will lead a section on what's called the pattern interruption, because that's all this is. You're interrupting the pattern in a very different, creative, unusual, and fun way. Yeah. And so what happens is, you wind up being the primary beneficiary of that because it alters your emotional state dramatically. And then from that altered state, that altered state is what they are buying. And they're buying someone who's having a friggin' blast, right? So anyone who's really, really alive and having a blast, 
anyone who's alive and having a blast is going to be more attractive than someone who's desperate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every totally time. You know? Every totally single time. So is the Glenn Morshower book title, I Have Syrup in My Shoes, Nice to Meet You? <laughs> That's actually a really good title. Yeah, the nice. one I'm working on now is called Had I Only Known. That's more way more serious than mine. And uh, but I like yours, and and from a marketing standpoint, yours might be the better title. Mine is yeah. really referencing how many things people would have done differently had they only known. Yeah, you know, and and I think there's a lot of truth to that, but it's very metaphysical. It's very philosophical about getting to the end of your life and wishing you had done things differently than you did, and had you only known, you would have. Well, what if we don't stay uneducated? What if we explore at a deeper level and go ahead and figure out what it is we would have done differently and then do it differently now? Don't yeah. wait. Well, so that's people with no balls. But, but that's the thing that's preventing them from doing it is the fear of the unknown. Well, I don't know. Uh, from fear of mediocrity might be worth fearing. You know, if, if people could look at mediocrity as an, uh, an unsatisfying outcome, and then be willing to mix it up. I mean, what pitcher would ever have been hired for the major leagues if they only threw one pitch? Yep. Yeah. You know, you can't go in and, well, the guy's got the world's greatest fastball. And someone goes, well, does he throw anything else? They go, no. And they go, well, they're going to hit him out of the park. As soon as yeah. they realize that's all he throws is a fastball, they're going to punish him. So there's something to be said for the mindset of mixing it up. Yeah. So diehards, you have been exposed to the great Glenn Morshower behind the scenes, in literally in the dressing room. <laughs> and because of the raw of it is the mastery of it. And we will beg Glenn to come back again and address you as potential salespeople and actors, not even performers, but people that live the part. Yeah, let's and do one live in front of a large audience. Glenn, yeah. maybe we could do a clubhouse room as a follow-up for our diehards who want to join That'd be us beautiful. and have a, That'd be a, beautiful. a conversation right after this airs. But we're going to have Beautiful. it. We're going to, it's going to say for salespeople, if you're not a douchebag, <laughs> because we have Is it going to say that on the diehard club room? No douchebags allowed? Yeah. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> what a great rule. And it will preclude, a, it will preclude a visit from someone. <laughs> oh my god oh where, my god where should people go to connect with you follow you watch the, the resident just watch the resident and give it yeah watch the up. resident no that people can reach out to me on facebook i'm not I, you know what i will no longer be able to say this by call it two weeks from now because i actually have someone working with me on instagram finally Whoa. i have had an i have had an instagram account but i've never done anything with it it has been lying dormant for a couple of years. And now with Clubhouse, there's this huge influx of people trying to reach me and they say, you know, I'll DM you. And I go, please don't. Because first of all, I don't even know what a DM is and I don't even know how to check it. So get back to me in a couple of weeks. But right now, the best thing is for me to just, someone can reach out on Facebook, just send me an instant message. Are you looking me up on Instagram? I am. I'm following you. Okay. It's, it's, it's probably just, really lame. And I'm guessing there are no photos there. Oh, yeah. There's two photos. Yeah, the bar mitzvah one and the serious one. <laughs> well, I appreciate oh, the follow, but I don't even know if it means anything. So I'll learn more about it, Jen. Thank you, though. Absolutely. Let's, let's do it. Let's do the clubhouse thing with the sure. no yeah. douchebags allowed. 
All right, that'll be a lot of fun. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Sell or Die. We hope that this episode has helped you transform the way you think, given you new ideas, and provided you a new perspective on the sales and business challenges that you face every day. So you can get out there and win the customer all the way to the bank. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps us help more people just like you make a difference in this world. Don't forget to take a screenshot, share it in your Instagram stories, and tag us at Jeffrey Gittimer and at Jen Gittimer. See See you you next week. week.